Lloyd Cole and the Commotions here on Radio 3 with Perfect Skin. 12 minutes past midday for a Friday. Join us on Facebook Live, especially if you are a movie buff, because it's time to say hi to a man who's actually been to a cinema. James Marsh, how are you? A uh, little shell-shocked, I've got to be honest. Yeah, I've, I've been out of the house. Uh, well, cinemas, yeah. <laughs> cinemas reopened in Hong Kong yesterday for the first time since I was looking back, and I think they closed on like the first of December this again time. for like the third yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. like, I think it was like the third time they've closed. Yeah, and uh, so it's been about twelve weeks since I was last in the cinema. So I made up for it yesterday and pretty much spent the whole day there. Is there a big like hole, a dent in your sofa that's got things growing in it and stuff? <laughs> There is a bit. It was nice to give it some breathing space. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Yeah, well, there Peel you go. myself off there. Well, yeah. I've, I've had a little bet with myself because I saw your, yay, okay. I've been to the cinema post on Facebook. I'm thinking he's going to say, brilliant, I got back into the cinema, but what a load of rubbish. Okay. That's my bet uh, with Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how that plays out. So... You know, so yes, as far as I can see, uh, all cinemas across Hong Kong have reopened at 50% capacity. Okay. I think they're allowing people to sit in groups of four uh, with the same regulations in place. You know, you've got to wear a mask. You're not allowed to eat or drink. So there are no excuses to take your mask off. Yeah. Um, and you've got to get a temperature check on the way in. There's the, the new... Uh, uh, QR code thingy that you've got to you've got to beep your way in so that they can trace where you've been, as well. Um, and you know, and it should be pointed out that actually, despite them opening and closing, opening and closing the cinemas what three times over the last twelve months, yeah, uh, there hasn't been, there haven't been any cases of of that being a uh, a, a location for spreading the, the pandemic. So um, it's always been, in my opinion, one of the the best regulated public spaces if you like anyway yeah uh so it's it's a it's about time quite frankly that they have reopened and we're very happy that they have and going to do our part to uh, to support them because obviously they they need it right now uh so what they have done is they've got, got to obviously fill all the screens so there are a number of returning films that were already screening In reserve uh, but films, they reckon that kind of thing well, stuff that was already out, and they reckon they can get ring a bit more cash out of, quite frankly, that all of those who wanted wanted yeah. to see it didn't quite get the chance. And then there was a number of films that were literally going to come out that week. Uh, I mean, there was a couple of local films like um, Breakout Brothers and One Second Champion and films like that that were scheduled to, to literally come out that week, like the 2nd of or 3rd of uh, December, yeah. and then just had the rug pulled out from under them the day before release which is so that you know they're getting those back into into cinemas and then there's also you know a few of the big holiday releases you know a few of the big christmas movies that have played elsewhere where cinemas are open but again as yet hadn't uh seen the light of day in hong kong mm. so you've got films like uh wonder woman 1984 and pixar's soul uh opening for the first time everybody in hong seen. kong well, I think this is the sad truth of the matter is that because of, um, particularly with Wonder Woman, okay, they, they were, it was one of the first examples of this new model that Warner Brothers is rolling out with uh, HBO Max, their, their right. digital platform, where they're doing day and date releases for all of their films uh, during 2021. And um, Wonder Woman 
had a, you know was pushed back obviously multiple times uh and then they settled on a christmas day release and that was a simultaneous release so the sad truth of it is that in these tech savvy times pretty much everybody who wanted to see wonder woman has probably seen it already has probably had the opportunity to see it um I was fortunate fortunate enough to actually be sent a screener by Warner Brothers to watch it. So I, I too, ha- had seen it and I reviewed it, I think, with James Ross over, over Christmas. Hmm. Um, but it is, it is now uh, out in Hong Kong cinemas. And, you know, it is a big sort of superhero blockbuster. You know, it is a big sort of CGI extravaganza. Extravaganza? <laughs> so it is the kind of film that really does benefit from being seen on the big screen. Sure. And I would say that even if, you know, there will, there will be people who waited uh, and they're hopefully jumping on this opportunity to go check it out now. And I think people, if you have seen it, but if you enjoyed it, I think this is an opportunity to, to go and see it as it was meant to be seen, in mm. inverted commas. You well, know, that's what, they hope it, that's what they're hoping for, is it? Yeah, I mean, because to be fair, the film did receive very mixed reviews. I kind of felt on the side of genu- generally liking it, uh, but I think it was it's definitely very long. It's about two and a half hours long, and it's got a kind of sort of lightweight, slightly frothy... Eight, 80s kind of vibe well, i mean that obviously as, as the title thing as the title suggests that's when it's set um but for the most part i liked it you know it flips the fish out of water um premise of the first one you know, the first one obviously was set in world war one era where she is the fish out of water and steve trevor is is the sort of the love interest who guides her through uh 20th century early 20th century uh life now it's in the 1980s and she has been uh, living on earth now for sort of 60 70 years she is very sort of au fait with with the world and she conjures steve trevor back into existence uh, in the mid 80s and so he has to sort of reacclimatize himself um it's got a couple of you know larger than life villains as one might expect played by Kristen Wiig and uh, Pedro Pascal and uh, has some sort of fun ideas and fun set pieces it it ran it ran too long but i i kind of got into the the sort of silly good natured it's very good natured i think that's something that definitely needs to be as was celebrated the 1980s. about the sure but you've got to remember that this is part of the the dc film universe which gets a lot of very justifiable criticism for yeah. being very dark and moody and moody. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have, after many years of does it exist, does it not exist, we have the Zack Snyder original vision of Justice League coming uh, in March. That's going to be on HBO Go in mm-hmm. Hong Kong, day and date with, with its uh, HBO Max premiere. So that's going to be seen pretty soon. And that's going to be darker and moodier. And Wonder Woman was always slightly at odds with that kind of aesthetic so um i think it was nice to see it sort of lower the stakes slightly after all of these epic movies and sort of embrace a slightly sort of frothier more upbeat dare i say more frivolous tone uh so anyway that's that's on out on the big screen as well also pixar's soul which i think is great and i think people really should go and see that i think i am actually going to go and see it again on the big screen because visually that film is incredibly arresting and the score was superb it has a, sort of a score by um 
Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails and his frequent collaborator Atticus Ross, but also they're um, collaborating with John Baptiste. If you watch the Stephen Colbert Late Show, John Baptiste is the who, band leader there. Who, it looks like a man in the movie. That's kind of a little... Yeah, there's there's, a, there's there a, a, a little bit of a resemblance there. there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it breaks a number of... Uh, uh, glass ceilings, shall we say, for Pixar. It's their first sort of African-American lead character. Uh, that's the story of sort of an ageing music teacher who's always had a dream of being sort of a jazz pianist, never had the opportunity. And on the day that he gets his break, he dies. But, you know, accidentally. The sting in the tale there is that he is actually mm. a brilliant jazz pianist. He's not just some wannabe. He's... <laughs> he's great. He's just the guy who's never quite... Yeah, know, he's just never been in the right joint at the same time. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah, he he goes up to the great beyond and decides, no, this is not my time, and finds himself in the great before, where he teams up with a a rather temperamental little soul that has yet to fight, be paired with a body, voiced by Tina Fey, and they find a way of getting themselves back to Earth, and hijinks ensue. It's visually very... Uh, extraordinary, very exciting, vibrant. Uh, like I said, the music is fantastic, and the and the script is really punchy. It has some really good ideas. It's a kind concept. of secular view. It's a secular view of of the the hereafter, yeah. but at the, you know, so, so it tiptoes around any any sort of religious potholes. Um, but I I really enjoyed that film, and like I said, that is a film that I will definitely be going to see on the big screen. Uh, Purely for the, I mean, the visuals, the kind of cosmic elements of that film, when it is uh, representing the various, I don't want to say the various circles of hell, quite the opposite, but uh, the various sort of different uh, super yeah. stuff. What, what do you call it? Yeah. yeah, stuff. That will do. Views yeah. of the hereafter. Well, listen, listen. Let's let's invite let's invite our listeners to join us on Facebook Live because it's always a bit of fun there, uh, especially now he's actually been able to go to a cinema, and I'm sure you have too. So, what did you see? What did you think of anything he's talking about? Talk about biscuits for all I care. <laughs> go on. Okay, biscuits. <laughs> um, so yeah, so those two films, Wonder Woman '84 and uh, Soul, are legitimate new releases this week in Hong Kong. Okay. So if you haven't seen them yet. Do go check them out. Uh, there are, however, I, I have reviewed them in full before. One so. question, though: um, the experience in the cinema, big screen, lovely sound, etc., with the soundtrack and all to Soul. Do you recommend it for that reason? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I will go back and see it. Got it. Is that it's you know the mu the music is so important to that film. It's a film about music and it's about creative expression and finding uh, the thing that you're good at. Um, and so it's important, imperative, you might say, to hear it in as best quali as good quality as, as possible. And although people's home setups are getting better and better all the time, different. Nothing beats nothing beats that Dolby Atmos surround. Gotcha. Sort of all right, then. Full, full texture. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah, that's that. Uh, okay, there, there are some other things as well. There's a couple of local movies. Uh, I must commend you for not using the word Netflix yet. Brilliant. I mean, I'm really glad that you don't have to. And I won't be, and that's not to turn my back on uh, my... my uh, sure, of course. ...my mistress of the last 12 months. <laughs> Your couch partner. <laughs> it, yes, exactly. It's just, it's just that... Um, you know, we have been chilling together very nicely for the last few months. But I want to really yeah. throw the spotlight on the fact that there is so much out in the cinema right now and the cinemas are open. And so people really should make make the most of that if they are to survive because they have been 
you know, essentially getting no income over over the 2020, really, and uh, and they need it. Uh, okay. The atmosphere you said was really quite nice. In I'm just curious, are they pushing the uh, Leave Home Safe app? Uh, are they sort of saying it's a must because it's rather a grey area, as you know? I just wonder what the cinema's take on it is because they just want people to come in, do their thing, leave, be happy. Sure. Well, um, my personal experience yesterday, uh, as you go in, uh, there's always been a kind of checkpoint in these times, anyway, where they, you know, ensure that they take your temperature and that they ensure you're wearing your mask and yeah, you yeah, are yeah, not yeah, allowed yeah. beyond this beyond this point, anyway. Um, certain cinemas actually have sort of a new QR code style ticket that they'd already oh, rolled out okay. and so there's almost like a turnstile thing that you have to sort of beat that just to get into that uh, at that point when they're taking your temperature and everything else uh, there is the QR code as you've seen in restaurants everywhere as well sure. where you can beat the, the Leaf Home app um, or there is a form you can fill sure. in if you don't have the Leaf Home, home app or you're a tourist or, or you don't, you don't have a phone or or you don't want to uh, there is a form that needs to fill in and it's just your name and your phone number and, and the date and time that you're there gotcha thank you next Okay, so um, of the new releases, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes. What I want to do, let's start talking about, there's a film called Assassins, which is a documentary by a guy called Ryan White, which mm -hmm. is about, it focuses on the murder, assassination of Kim Jong-nam. Kim Jong-un's uh, brother yeah, yeah. in Kuala Lumpur Airport back in February 2017 focuses specifically, as the title Assassins might suggest, on the two women who were arrested and charged and tried for for the, the assassination of him. You know, were they, as the media jumped upon at the time, were they sort of cold-blooded uh, as, you know, hired contract killers. Uh, were they innocent victims in an elaborate prank? Were they, uh, you know, pawns in an international um, power grab? You know, who exactly were they, and what exactly did they know, and and what was their fate? Is is the angle that it takes? Yes. And so, um, it it, it literally it's. It goes to quite into, into detail. I mean, it looks at the two women. It talks to the two women. There are interviews with both of the women. Uh, Siti Asaya from uh, Indonesia and, um, oh, what was her name? Uh, uh, Duan Thi Huang, or Duan as she's just referred to, from Vietnam. Uh, how they came to be in uh, Malaysia at the time, because uh, they, they are not you know, natives no, of that not. land. Uh, they were both sort of very sort of, sort of innocent village girls who arrived in Malaysia at different times. By all accounts, they did not know each other before, until after the event, actually. Even sort of as they both sort of paths crossed to uh, to sort of attack him in in the uh, in the airport and wipe his face with these uh, chemicals that turned out to be. Yeah, ZX poison gas or poison, uh, yeah, chemical poison. Um, they had never, they had never met. They had no idea who each other were, and uh, so it goes into who they were. It talks to journalists from the Washington Post who give a sort of very sort of thorough background to North Korea and the family dynamics between Kim Jong Un and Kim Jong Nam and where, what where, the beef is. Where's this from? Where's this film? Where's it made? Where's it? Um, I think it's 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 Western made. Ryan White is. Um, I'm not sure where he's from actually, but okay, I'm going to say British or Australian or American. They are my guesses. <laughs> uh, so it's. <laughs> um, 
It also talks with a local uh, Malaysian journalist who was reporting on the scene from day one. Uh, we, and we also talk uh, at great length with the lawyers representing both of these women mm. throughout the entire process. So you get, really do get sort of a blow-by-blow -blow account, how it was handled at the time, how the court was set up, how the, what the, how the prosecution framed their case, how the judges were uh, perceived it almost as a sort of open and shut case from day one. Uh, and all, uh, there were other strange elements like, uh, you know, the, the defense... Oh, really? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, there's lots to get in, but I also noticed that it's time for the news. So oh, it's I nearly, it's nearly. No, I'm just like, there are other <laughs> strange elements, understatement of the year from you. It's, it's an absolutely sort of fascinating story that if you put it in a movie, people would be like, that's ridiculous, you can't put that in a movie. But only because it happened, uh, you know, are, are they able to really sort of get away with it? You know, their defence is that they were, they were approached and hired to, to shoot a, a Japanese prank TV show. You know, and that actually in the weeks and months leading up to it, they had participated in a number of sort of pranks in public spaces around the region, sort of in preparation to lead them up to this uh, event. Yeah. And that they were basically going to come up behind him and put their hands over his eyes, uh, but with baby oil, what yeah, they yeah, thought yeah, was yeah. baby oil on his hands. Well, I don't know who knows this and who doesn't. So I don't know what I'm repeating to other people. I mean, this all ha took place. Like I said, three, three, four years ago. This is fascinating, Many and we, we are going to the news, but I'm going to offer you a quick little stocking filler because Please. Our, our friend, the uh, best-selling author, Paul French, he did a radio play about this, kind of half play, half doco, and it's on the BBC. It's called Death at the Airport, The Plot Against Kim Jong-nam, and it's really fantastic listening. Just thought I'd chuck that in there if you want to. So this is a, a topic that titillates a lot of people, basically, isn't it? Mm. All right. What are we going oh, to do yeah, after the absolutely. news? Sorry to interrupt you, James. Well, I just want to do a little bit more about that, and then we've got Shockwave 2 and The Way We Keep Dancing. Lovely. Two big local sequels. Let's do some of this. Well, it's now 28 minutes to one. Plenty more time with Marshy. What do you got? Carry on. OK, I'll carry on. So I'm talking about Assassins, which is a new documentary about the murder of Kim Jong-nam. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so City and Doan, these two women, uh, what they thought was a, a, a prank TV show they were taking part in is revealed to be, uh, you know, <clears throat> a, a North Korean sort of operation to assassinate him. You know, the people who are posing as Japanese TV crew were not Japanese, they were North Koreans. Uh, there were eight of... I'd, uh, four of them... Literally, were in the airport at the time and immediately got on a plane right. and course. made their way back Hello. to North Korea. <laughs> yeah. The other four remained in Malaysia where they were picked up and rounded up by the local police only to be shortly uh, thereafter released, who then flew back and uh, were not called to court, but no, no charges were, were pressed against them or anything like that. Uh, and so it very quickly sort of became obvious to everybody, uh, not least that the two women... Uh, at the centre of it, that mm -hmm. they were going to be scapegoat, they were going to be scapegoated, and that the Malaysian government and the courts were, if not complicit, then more than happy for, to let that happen, more than satisfied just before any, the, the trial even started. Yeah, yeah just that it was cut and dried. The police in charge, the, the you know the prosecution, the judge, almost from minute one, were just like, yeah, these these two women are responsible, and uh, we do, it's an open and shut case. Obviously, uh, everything. There was no evidence to back up the fact these women didn't know each other. They were from, there was no evidence to suggest that they had 
any kind of training in assassination or anything like this, or that they had any motive. Whereas, obviously, there were there was a, 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 lots of incredible incriminating evidence to support this incredible story that they were uh, proposing. Uh, but then it doesn't end there, and I don't want to get into the details, yeah. but as the trial unfolds, it just continues to take crazy, crazy turns. It's one of those stories, like I said, that you know, if you wrote it down, uh, people would, would say it was ridiculous and you'd have to sort of make it more believable. Um, the documentary itself is fairly... Um, uh, well, it, it's it's well laid out. You know, there's a good sort of sense of editorial control and storytelling technique, but it's not mm. the most overly sort of flashy of fi- of filmmaking. So I say, you know, it's uh, it, it literally sort of follows the events as they take place and and gives you enough sort of background information and groundwork and breadth of information uh, to to make it a compelling story and right to the what, end. What do you mean specifically? Um, it's not got the glam that you're used to watching in documentaries over the past well, in few this, months yeah in this in this day and age you know documentary filmmaking in the last sort of 20 years has really sort of taken off and really becomes sure. sort of a very much an, an art form as much as simply uh you know relaying information mm. you know before <clears throat> before people like sort of michael moore came on the scene uh documentaries would it was just considered a very sort of dry educational medium uh you know very few people would watch a documentary for fun Apart from hardcore sort of history, history channel nerds or something like that. Whereas now it has been sort of transformed into a sort of legitimate entertainment and art form of its own. And there are some incredibly sort of inventive and compelling filmmakers out there. What I will say is that Ryan White, the director of Assassins, might not be the most compelling and, and artistic and creative, artistically creative filmmaker. Uh, he does, like I said, it's, it's a good piece of investigative journalism and reportage that you know, lays out all the facts and gives you a lot of background information and presents this story that is so compelling on its own merits that it doesn't really need a spit and polish. Uh, but that said, I have to sort of point out the fact that it doesn't get one. Fair enough. Riveting topic, so, though. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. You know, so I, I, it's a caveat, but it is like the, the, the topic is compelling on its own. Right. Right, Without then. the need for Brilliant. bells and whistles. So, so far, what have we got? <clears throat> okay, so, uh, so far, yeah. So, like I said, Wonder Woman, Soul, and Assassins all out now. Let's talk about Shockwave 2. Go. Now, don't let, don't let the two put you off. It is a sequel in name only to Shockwave 19, uh, 19? 2017 action film with uh, Andy Lau. Yep. So this re-teams Andy Lau with the director, of, a writer-director of that film, Herman Yao one of the most sort of prolific genre filmmakers in Hong Kong. This is the story of um, Fong, who he works for the EOD, which is like sort of a bomb disposal unit. And uh, him and his partner Tung, played by uh, Lao Qingwan, uh, in the opening... Well, okay, the film opens like this. The film opens with a train packed with nuclear explosives being driven into... <laughs> it's, it's Airport Express. It's Airport Express. Being driven into Hong Kong International Airport. Right. And it goes off. So a nuclear explosion wipes out Hong Kong International Airport in the opening scene of this movie. What the movie then proceeds to tell you is this almost happened. This didn't happen. Uh-huh. This almost happened. <laughs> yeah. And here is the story of how it almost happened and and how it came to be sort of stopped. So then we get, um, yeah, Fong, played by Andy Lau. Uh, in the opening scene, he uh, 
he fails to to defuse a bomb which blows his foot off so he uh he goes through rehab and all the rest of it and then he is uh unceremoniously dumped by his department they're just like well no you're, you're a liability now uh it forward tracks five years where it appears that fung is now involved in the uh terrorist bombing of a big hotel which he kind of gets caught up in at the same time and he's put in a coma when he awakens from the coma he's got amnesia so there's a lot that happens to this guy at the beginning of this movie so he's lost a foot. He's been unceremoniously dumped by his department. Uh, he seems to now be embroiled with the terrorists, and he's got amnesia. So it's pretty convenient, really, isn't it? Th that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot right from the start. But Hong Kong is, you know, being targeted by these terrorists. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they want, but they know that Andy Lau is somehow involved. So the cops hatch on a plan. They're like, "We're going to tell you that you're really an undercover cop with the terrorists." And so, you know, keep doing what you were doing, get back in touch with the terrorists and help us take them down. This is not true. <laughs> so it's quite a fun little sort of play on the old sort of undercover cop sort of mole in the system kind of movie like Infernal Affairs. You know, Andy Lau has played this kind of character before. Yes, yes. But it's the, it's the cops pulling the strings and actually just... Um, manipulating a character who has amnesia. <laughs> It's quite ballsy. I haven't really seen this kind of setup before. And so that's, that's the setup. And his ex-girlfriend, you know, who since he lost his foot and, and got dumped by the force, <laughs> broke up with her. She, she pretends, she's a cop as well. She pretends to be his handler and sort of nurtures him back into the fold, if you like. And we see slowly in flashback over the course of the movie, you know, how he came to be sort of manipulated and changed sides and all the rest of it and what happened. Yep. Now... What I will say is that for a, for an action movie, for a Hong Kong action movie, this is pretty good stuff. You know, I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw a local action film that was as genuinely exciting and ambitious and just competent at executing big set pieces as this. It's quite amazing. I mean, there's a lot of sort of car chases, uh, gunfights, as one might expect, lots of bombs blowing up, of course. Uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> They use a lot of real locations, you know, they use sort of the MTR stations and the Airport Express a lot, and there's a lot of going on on the streets. There are also some really sort of inventive set pieces. There's one sequence that involves Lao Ching-Wan, who is also a bomb disposal guy, and he's in that big extra padded suit, you know, that you will have seen in yeah, like, yeah. the Hurt Locker. Mm -hmm. He's in one of those trying to defuse a bomb while a sniper is repeatedly shooting at him. So he's repeatedly getting, you know, and I was, I'm like, this is great. You know, I ha this is really sort of imaginative Not stuff so for, for, him. for what is, for what is like a Hong Kong B movie, just about cops and robbers, essentially. I was like, this is, this is great stuff. <laughs> okay, you know, this is nail biting this intention. This, this is Shockwave 2, okay. which is a sequel in name only to Shock, Shockwave 1. Now, what, I feel it would be remiss if I didn't point this out as well, is that um, Herman Yao, who wrote and directed this, mm -hmm. uh, he's very, like I said, very prolific filmmaker. He does a lot of, in his day, he's done a lot of very sort of socially aware stuff. He's done a lot of very sort of extreme exploitation stuff. He's done a lot of sort of work, filmmaker for hire kind of stuff. He's, he's like a real, you know, very prolific, very uh, jack-of-all-trades kind of filmmaker. <clears throat> Now, it must be pointed out, I don't know exactly what the condition is, but he walks, Herman Yao walks with a limp. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, you see him around, but he has a very protracted sort of um, limp himself. And one has to kind of notice that in this film, he has perhaps 
put an idealised version of himself up there on screen as Andy Lau. Andy Lau, who loses his foot at the beginning of this movie and so walks with a limp and is frequently losing his... Um, his his fake limb uh, and having to sort of manage that trouble and uh, and it was just it was just a point that I was like you know this is great because this is personalising yeah. what is otherwise yeah. sort of a very sort of literally a very generic uh, formula and he's really I you know you can't help but imagine that he's really sort of projecting on there and or just a little in one one, one of those kind of n- not nods one of those little. I know, but you don't quite know things. It's just a signature. Yeah, maybe. there's a little bit of a little finesse on there. You know, you know, this is. I, I, I thought it just it needed to it needed to be acknowledged, and you're just kind of like, okay, this, that's obviously coming from a very sort of personal place, and it just adds a little bit right. of personal. I don't want to say personal tragedy, but a little bit of you know personalization to uh, to this sort of action hero who is a very sort of conflicted character in a number of ways yeah, yeah. i was trying to pin down exactly what the politics of this film might be um but i don't think there is a very sort of i was thinking exactly that when you were saying a few things just now and i'm sure people listening were it would be nice yeah, to you know, know I think that it's... it's not at all and it is exactly what it says on the tin yeah i mean herman Yeo has made sort of politically outspoken films in the past um andy lau i think has also you know, chosen where he stands and all the rest of it. But I don't think there's there's any single, clear, coherent um, well, you didn't detect line that, so that's being cool. taken. That, no, know. no, and I've got to be honest, I was looking out for it because in a lot of, well, sort of Hong Kong movies these days, there is a, there is a POV, and here I, I felt that either there are too many conflicting ones <laughs> simultaneously <laughs> or there just isn't one. Uh, suffice to say that I thought this was... This is a great... This is bodes well for the future of of action movies in Hong Kong right yeah. now because this was a, a real surprise. It was way better than I had anticipated. I mean, as a story, it's nonsense, but it's well, great, really well, really well executed nonsense. And the action, if you're an action movie fan, it's it's a whole lot of fun. Okay, I'm really glad I was wrong when I started off. I've lost my bet with me. <laughs> That's brilliant news. That means there's some. You know, kicking stuff going on out there. There is. I can do one more, which will make you feel sl- slightly better about yourself, which is The Way We Keep Dancing, which is the sort of belated sequel to a 2013 indie film called The Way We Dance, which was all about sort of a group of young dancers uh, making a name for themselves. Yeah. Uh, this obviously cut to seven years later, and it's kind of like a meta sequel. So it's about the characters who are enjoying a modicum of success off the back of the first film mm-hmm. uh, and it's about how their lives have changed in the interim so you've got the main character Hannah played by Cherry Yan who has come become something of a celebrity and she is now being handled by a management company and she's kind of clashing with her management company about how they are pushing her towards a certain image and it might mean leaving the rest of her crew behind uh you've got baby John Choi's character Leung who's become a bit of a sort of YouTube personality in his own right He's trying to um, motivate the gang to sort of pro, sort of, sort of work in conjunction. Basically, there's a big urban development plan going on in Kowloon Bay. Okay, they want to kind of protest against it, but the urban developers want to get the kids on their side, and it's all about whether uh, you should be siding with the man or whether they should be sort of siding with the. you know, for or against the gentrification of their neighbourhood. Um, 
to be honest, it's a bit of a mess. It's got too many characters going on and it's trying to explore too many little storylines and little subplots all the way through. You know, on the one hand, they're a crew and they want to stick together and they want to uh, mm-hmm. develop their dance routines and their, their, their hip-hop stylings on their own. You've got like an MC rapper guy who uh, has, has got a record de- deal but only on his own and he's, his old crew are a bit... Uh, got the hump about that. So there's a lot of it is about... Um, at what point is it is is it okay for you to pursue your own personal successes without taking everybody along with you? You know, and there's a lot of resentment from different characters about that. But it doesn't really seem to sort of fall down on one side or the other of that debate. Uh, it's also trying to sort of galvanise the whole the whole crew to um, protect their neighbourhood from from gentrification. And you can read into that if you want. The most interesting part of it is when about halfway through, uh, their efforts get sabotaged by a rival rapper who says, this isn't the real hip-hop. Let me tell you what the real hip-hop is. And the film suddenly changes into a documentary shot in New York, in the Bronx, talking to some old OG hip-hop guys from the streets from back in the day who are all now pretty old. And it becomes just like this documentary on the origins of of real hip-hop for about 15 minutes. And you're like, what? this is way better than the rest (laughs) of the film. (laughs) And then it's it's really disappointing when, yeah, 15 minutes later, it goes back to what it was about. Um so it's it's a bit of a mess it's trying to do too many things spin too many plates at the same time it doesn't really uh go far enough with any of them and it ends up with a bit of a mess um it i believe it the the project was kind of delayed by a couple of years it should have come out last year anyway obviously but it feels like it's do you think it wasn't meant to have an interlude in the middle do you reckon something should out something else should be possibly in there. possibly yeah. that's what they did in the interim when they couldn't get the film finished uh, and they went off and shot that bit but it's the best bit let's be honest it's the best bit okay. um one can't help but think with all these sort of young very sort of artistically motivated socially aware young people this film was probably shot in about 2017 2018 and you're like a lot has happened in the last couple of years which may have sort of be more on the forefront of the minds of a lot of these characters. And it seems strange that they're not preoccupied in any way by any of Willing these things. Willing abandonment, eh? If you must. If you must. All right, then. Give us a reminder what we did today. Okay, so that's good, The Way We Keep Dancing, and unfortunately it, it's not nearly as good as the first film. It's loftier ambitions kind of for, make it stretch it beyond breaking point uh much better locally shockwave 2 andy lao Laoching one herman yao big boom uh <laughs> action movie big bada boom action movie yep, yep. uh the documentary assassins is a fan fascinating story well told uh and then also big budget hollywood movies finally out in hong kong soul and wonder woman 84 nice one james brilliant job we'll do it again next week i'm really happy for you that you've actually got to go to a cinema again have a great week take care and we'll do it all again next time